And we are back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. Quick turnaround here this week. Monday podcast, Tuesday podcast. Things are rolling. Tuesday, October 6th. Beautiful, beautiful morning here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, Let's get to the ads here really quickly. Manscaped will be sponsoring today's podcast. Thank you very much, Manscaped. Remember, folks... You got to use the promo code HB Sports to get 20% off your order. Manscaped has perfected the ball hair trimmer. They call it the Lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof. You can use it in the shower. You can take it on the road with you and charge for up to 90 minutes. This is how you get ahead in life, gentlemen. You got to start taking care of the little details. I walk out every morning with a fresh set down below and I'm ready to take on the world. You know, you want to, you know, you want to put a couple bucks in the bank. You want to impress your boss. Maybe you want to impress this girl. It's the little details that will get you ahead. And ladies, maybe you got a gentleman at home that isn't shaving down below and you don't want to have that awkward conversation. So what do you do? You go to manscaped.com, use the promo code HBSports, pick up a lawnmower 3.0, Give it to your gentleman. He'll get the point. No awkward conversation. He'll just use it, start shaving, and you'll be a lot happier. So remember, go to the website, manscaped.com. Use the promo code HBSports. Get 20% off your order and start living a better life. Today on the High Button Podcast, very excited about this guest. Extremely impressive resume. I kind of get nervous when I have people on the podcast that interview other people for a living now he's the president and ceo of the nova scotia sports hall of fame bruce rainey bruce like i said impressive resume he works for cbc he was the host of cbc news compass from 2003 to 2017 he's been with cbc since 1995 but since taking over the ceo role of the nova scotia sports hall of fame that side of his career has taken a little bit of a pause i'm sure he's still doing it but i'll clarify things up there in the podcast uh he's actually broadcasted in the olympics 2000 2002 2004 and 2006 fun fact here in 2006 he actually called the women's hockey gold medal game uh, in the olympics so that's kind of cool and like i said president ceo nova scotia sports hall of fame interviews tons of people uh if you go on youtube and you just type in bruce rainey you'll see some very impressive uh interviews that he's done in the past so i'm extremely excited to have bruce on the podcast it's going to be a great episode like i said tuesday still early in the week get after it have fun it's going to be a great episode i hope you enjoy Here we go. You know what comes next. And we're going, Bruce. Thank you very much for joining the show. Guys, pleasure to be here. Love the candle. Love love the smell. Yes. I'm not going to lie. It's my girlfriend's touch. She put that in here, but I appreciate that. If you're going to thank me, I'll, I'll, I'll take the credit for that. Sure. You got it today for sure. The sweater you're wearing is bringing back memories to me. Memorial Cup. A couple of years back. You know what was fun about that? I had a chance. They asked me. They were bringing in alumni, right? And so um, the tournament went for about 10 days, and, and every day I'd have a chance at about 4.30 yeah. to stand in front of a bunch of people at the convention center, two to 300, sometimes two to 3,000, depending on the guest, yeah. and talk to people like Jody Shelley, Alex Tangay, Jean-Sebastien Giguere, Nathan McKinnon, Guy Lafleur, who was in town. And so that was the role I played in the Memorial Cup, kind of going behind the scenes and, and doing these stories with people who had been key figures both in Halifax's Memorial Cup run years ago and in national Memorial Cup runs, and um, they gave me a sweater. What I know, I, I, I know. We, we were there, myself and my camera guy, we were there, we yeah. were watching you. There was a great little thing that they had going in the convention center. It was just a great, great, was it two weeks or one week Memorial about, Cup? About two weeks, and I'll never forget the, uh, you know, Jody Shelley's um, a real fascination of mine because I, I worked a long time in Yarmouth, and when I was in Yarmouth, okay. he was playing midget hockey. So I used to go watch him play. One of my friend's son was on his team. Before the Moosets. That's way before. Wow. And Jody was, um, he was a finesse guy. He was a finesse center, put up a lot of points. Yeah. And when he came to the Mooseheads, he was 6'4 and, and approaching 200 at the time. And they told him, you don't skate well enough to be a finesse guy anymore. If you want to play for us, you got to be big. Got to use your size. And he turned that into a 13-year a NHL career. And so I, I still love the fact that to this day, 26 years later, the most popular player in Halifax Moosehead history is this kid from Yarmouth who had a lot of guts, a lot of courage, who stu- stood up for his teammates. And fans kind of, I think, not kind of, I think, they did identify with this underdog role of a kid from southwestern Nova Scotia making a major junior hockey team. So Jody's a great story, and he's having a wonderful broadcast career now as the color man for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Absolutely. He's really, really good. Anyone that's been in the game for a, that long of a time, I feel, knows the game and knows the players especially. Because in a broadcasting role, I feel having a relationship with the players, not 
especially like on a personal level, but just, you know, in an athletic relationship and knowing what they're going through, whether it's injury, whether it's a long road trip, whether it's anything that is involved in the game, it's kind of nice that you've been through it. So you kind of know the questions to ask, you know what I mean? Like, you do. I, it also helps, though, to be really verbose and to be a bit of a ham. What does verbose mean? A verbose means uh, a command of the language. He's a smart, smart guy. Verbose. Um real eloquent, right? Okay. Can tell a story, can spin a yarn, can be funny, can be serious. But also, Jody's a, a performer. He's a bit of a ham. And, and a, <laughs> the best color guys in history, John Madden was phenomenal. Harry Neal was phenomenal. They're characters themselves. And, yeah. and I think Jody, you're going to see him move from the Columbus to a, a more national level, I think, very, very soon. That's exciting stuff. Yeah. How did you get involved in, I guess, everything? Broadcasting? You have an impressive resume. I've been over it. How, how was all this introduced to you? Did it find you, or did you find well, it? I'll give you the thing? Coles notes. I I always loved. I remember growing up as a kid, my dad telling me, "I'll never forget, ever forget." I was three or four years old. One of my earliest memories watching a Montreal Canadiens game with my dad, and him telling me that Danny Gallivan, the play-by-play guy, he's from Nova Scotia, and I said, "You mean this guy on national TV? He's a Nova Scotian." And it resonated with me. I said, wow, that's kind of cool that the guy on TV is from our province. And I loved listening to him. At the time, the Boston Red Sox used to come in on a Bangor main feed, and Dick Stockton and Ken the Hawk Harrelson were the broadcast team. They were really good. Stockton was very, he was the straight man. Harrelson was the character color guy. And I used to listen, and watch, and I loved Yastrzemski and Rice and Lynn and all of that, but I also listened to them. They were good. I loved watching Howard Cosell call a boxing match, right? The ebbs and the flows, the way he'd use his voice, and you'd be in another room and you'd hear him, oh, I get to the room because Howard's excited, something's happening. So I always loved it, and through school I would MC assemblies, right, and, and school talent shows. And I had a Dartmouth Cable 10 TV show from grade uh, 10 through 12 called Rainy and Friends. Wait, you were on it? I hosted In, in high I hosted, school? Yes. It was like a... On a, TV? A rip-off David Letterman or Johnny Carson show. Had a Holy desk, smokes. had a co-host, would kiss female guests on the hand like Johnny Carson <laughs> did. It was horrible, but it gave me the bug, right? It gave me the bug. That's amazing. So I went to Dallas and got a chemistry degree um, and did radio to put myself through school partially and also just because I liked it. And on the day I graduated from Dallas, I was offered a morning radio show in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. $14,000 a year. And my parents always thought I would be an orthopedic surgeon. So this was a tough discussion with mom and dad. Uh, I'm not going to be an orthopedic surgeon. I want to go to Yarmouth to be a DJ for $14,000 a year. Thank God mom and dad had a sense of humor plus a trust in me. And I said, look, if this doesn't work, I've got the degree. I can fall back is yeah. the term the parents used. But it worked. I was in Yarmouth for a few years, made a move to CBC, a really fortuitous set of circumstances there. And uh, within, I always tell people within five years, I, I got so lucky. I was hosting a morning radio show in Yarmouth. And five years later, I was hosting the morning national news show for CBC in Halifax. So it's just proof that if you if you work hard and and you're lucky, you're kind of, you're prepared when you meet opportunity, good things can happen. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, what are we, four minutes into the podcast and all that? We're having fun, aren't we? Like, <laughs> like, I thought I had a bunch of questions ready, but now you're just rambling off. I'm like, holy smokes, we'll where just do we go, go anywhere you there? want here, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. And I feel like at that time when you're done Dalhousie and you do go to Yarmouth for 14K a year, I think in the grand scheme of things, you're still young. So even if you don't pursue it and you don't like it and you do want to do something else, it's fine. I always find when you're done university and people jump into that nine to five that their mom and dad want you to take, it's kind of a dangerous route. I think it's time to take risk when you're done school. Well, I was. It's not the grand scheme of things. I was young. I was 20 years old. Well, that's fine. And uh, what it was, you can go You can go to journalism school, and I certainly would advocate it to kids today. You kind of have to. But for me, I spent five years in Yarmouth doing things like funeral announcements, oh. phone-in shows, news, weather, sports, uh, live remotes, making mistake after mistake after mistake, but not trying to make them twice. Right, And so for me, it was really education on the fly. And I came out of Yarmouth to the point where I wasn't afraid of anything for the rest of my life when it came to broadcast. I could be, you. every light in this studio could go down, your mic could go down, you could say, Bruce, could you fill five minutes? And because of that experience in Yarmouth, no problem, because I saw everything. I hosted a noon hour show called Rainy at Noon, where we'd have guests on talking about things going on in Yarmouth. Remember, Mrs. Dontremont from West Pubnico was going to come in and talk about her begonias. She was part of the West Pubnico Flower Club. <laughs> and she called me five minutes before the show to tell her that Claude, the guy that she had been hoping would ask her out for lunch, did, and that she wasn't driving to Yarmouth. She was going to lunch with Claude down the road. They eventually married, by the way, which is a nice story. <laughs> I've got an hour to fill. 
right? She's not coming in. Yeah. We're not talking begonias. Yeah. I've still got to go on the air. Yeah. That sort of stuff teaches you to uh, work in callers, open phone lines, segue from one thing to another, and mm-hmm. just fill time. And I know a lot of kids in journalism come out, and, and they don't have that skill. They have to develop it. I was able to develop it in southwestern Nova Scotia on a 5,000-watt AM radio station, which was the greatest education ever. In what sense? In the, in the sense that, um, for instance, uh, I can remember times vividly at CBC where I'm doing a curling game, okay? Curling game ends five minutes early. Mm-hmm. CBC has a choice. Do you go to already scheduled programming? Do you try to run a few ads? How do you fill that five? Mm-hmm. And the producer will say to me, can you fill three of that on your own? Yep. But how long of how long of notice do you have before you go? Okay, I have to fill three minutes. Thirty in. seconds. So what what do you, what's running through your head in that thirty seconds? How do I fill three minutes? Are you looking around you for people to talk to? No, what's... you're 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 thinking what just happened in the game? What am I going to ask my analysts? What highlights can I ask for to recap the game? Oh. What's the storyline going forward? Who do they play next? What's that matchup like? You start all of this starts firing in your your computer, right? Your your brain, and it's because of. It's totally because of that time in Yarmouth where I had to dance every single day to get into and out of messes. I had a, a real mentor of mine was a guy named Lou LeBlanc, who used to work at Country 101 Radio here in Halifax. He was a guy that took me under his wing early. I remember a metaphor he used. He said, the best broadcasters in the world can climb a tree, get totally stuck, be in a mess, and find a way to get back down without the audience knowing they were ever in trouble. And if you think about that, that. as we sit here and talk, as you start to ad-lib, you can go down a road that you, oh, shoot, I wish I didn't get to, you know, but then you work your way back, you find your way back. And that that was the skill I developed in Yarmouth because I was always climbing up a tree and getting in a mess. And the key was get back down and make sure the audience knows you were never up there scrambling. I'm going to give you a little history about me in this show here. So before Mark got here, I was in charge of all these cameras, the audio, everything being recorded. I'm not going to tell you how many times we started the show and it wasn't recording, but luckily the audio was recording from the cameras. But I had a problem with, let's say you and I are talking right now, in the back of my head, kind of listening, kind of not listening, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking, are these cameras running? Are the audio going? Is everything set? Is everything recording? And I feel that was a little bit of training for me because this is episode 291, but for the first 200 episodes I'm paying attention I'm listening but I'm also having to think in the back of my head is everything set is everything ready and it was almost like a paranoia in the back of my head and that I'm not saying trained me but it gave me a little bit of sense of confidence now that Mark is here and everything's running smoothly to allow me to listen a little bit more and allow me to engage a little bit more and I feel like that might have been a little bit of training for me well I'll tell you I'm glad you mentioned the word listen because I've had the privilege through the years of going to talk to a lot of journalism classes and school kids and they always ask, what's the key to an interview, you know? And the, the biggest key beyond anything else is to listen, right? I, I, have, I have been around people who have five questions on a list. And they are going to ask those five questions in that order no matter what happens. So if the first question is, how were you able to balance the budget? And the answer comes back, well, we were able to take some money from here and move it to there. Plus, my grandmother was killed last night. If your next question is, what about the money from the nurses' union, then you're not listening, right? And I've seen it over and over again, and so kudos, kudos. Um, Despite what was going on with the cameras and the mics, you were still listening, and that's the key. And I did that at the very beginning. I had notes. We'd have, like, you know, we had. I remember I had George LaRock call in once, and 10 questions set. I wasn't listening to him. I was just asking the questions. I listened back. It was a terrible interview. Because I wasn't listening. Because there's no flow. No flow. Right? There's no flow. You, the, the best, the best. I mean, interviews can, they should at times be tough, and you should hold people accountable if it's that sort of thing. But what we're doing today is, uh, you know, if I if I leave you with something at the end of a sentence, it behooves you, if you're interested, to pick up on that, right? Pick mm-hmm. up and let, let, let's keep it going and see where it goes. You can always get back to where you were. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, listening is the, the biggest key ever. What are some struggles that you had at the beginning? Obviously, it came kind of natural to you, but everyone has to work on certain things. What was something that you had to work you know, on? The, the, big, the biggest thing was um, I was an irreverent young guy who always thought it was important to get a good last line in. My heroes were, I mentioned Johnny Carson. He probably is too old for you, but David John. Letterman isn't. And, and I used to love the moments where they'd have a quick line that would bring the house down with a guest that was clearly ad-libbed. And so I'd, 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 I'd always go for that, you know, as a young kid on radio. And sometimes you have to think, that might be funny to you, but it, uh, here's an example, okay? And this is one I'm not proud of to this day. We used to do a thing called Swap Shop. And Swap Shop was where you open up phone lines and people phone in and they buy, sell, and trade. Okay. Okay? 
I'm hosting Swap Shop one day. On, I still remember the number, 7429285. Good morning, you're on Swap Shop. Jeez. And the guy goes, hi, I need to drive this weekend to Université Saint-Anne, which is up on the, the shore and very close to Digby. And uh, you could do that on Swap Shop. You could try to ask for a drive. And I said, <laughs> so you need to drive this weekend to Saint-Anne's University. He goes, no, 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 to Université Saint-Anne. And this guy's as English as I am. And I said, right, to St. Anne's University. And he goes, no, 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 to Université St. Anne with an accent aigu. And I go, okay, I understand, but it's St. Anne's University. He goes, haven't you heard of French immersion? And I said, I have, but I just don't think we hold them under long enough. <laughs> okay? So that was my line. All right? I thought it was innocent. I thought it was quick. And I thought it was funny. It's fine. It's not fine. Because, <laughs> because the biggest part of our listening audience up through to Digby is the French shore of Claire, Matagan, Mavalette, Sonyville. And my little glib quick quip, which which I thought was cute and funny, that could be offensive to some. And so that's what that's what I was doing too much as a kid. And I remember my boss called me in, could have fired me, didn't, said, you know, that that was a good line, but think about it. Think about it. Like if you're gonna hurt someone or you're gonna cause someone to be offended, you're you're essentially saying, Hold French people underwater there. I said, I'm not really, but he said, Yes, you are. He said, Just don't be a dink. Don't be a dink. And it was great advice. And so that, that was my hardest thing to learn, that sometimes, actually most of the time, it's not that important to get the last word, nor is it important to always be thinking of a, a great quip or a great line. Mm. Let, let people talk. Let the guest be the star okay. is, I think, what I learned most. Do you ever struggle going back and like looking at yourself? Whenever I want to get better, I'll go back and look at old podcasts, and I find it hard to watch myself and study myself. Do you ever do, you ever do that? It's hard, of, yeah, yeah, because because you, you can see... You can get back in your head and you're right back in that moment and you say to yourself, why yeah. didn't I do that there? Uh, boy, I wish I had gone for it here. But it's an organic thing. As long as, you, as long as you do your best that day, you know. But I think it's very important to go back and watch because you, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn where you could have got in, how you could have got in, and maybe why you shouldn't have gotten in is almost more important too. That was another thing that, that I had to learn. And it sounds counterintuitive to broadcast, but sometimes it's way more important what you don't say. Way more important. What do you mean by that? Well, here's an example. I've done curling the last 10 years for the CBC. Yeah. And the only reason I've done it is because a guy named Don Whitman, who was a legend, died of cancer. And I was the next kind of call up. And I remember Don, as he was dying, phoned me and I asked him for advice. And he said, shut up. And I said, what do you mean, shut up? And he said, well, curling's the only sport where every player on the ice has a microphone on. They all know more about curling than you. The two people in the booth, each has won an Olympic gold medal in curling. They know way more about curling than you. So listen to the players on the ice, listen to your analysts, get back from commercial clean, throw to commercial clean, ask good questions, ask about strategy, but this is not time to inject your opinion. You don't need to fill wall to wall. And you think, here, CBC's hiring me for a curling event. I got to talk a lot. Actually, no, you don't. You have to quarterback and make sure your receivers get the ball is what you got to do. Wow. And it's, uh, that's hard to learn because your, your instinct tells you, well, you're on a national broadcast, got to show what I know here. Yeah. You show more about what you know by asking good questions to people who know more than you. That's what I learned. Wow. Yeah. Advice from a dying man. gave That's incredible. Very kind of him, right? He wow. wanted me to succeed. And I went back and watched a lot of Whitman stuff. And he wanted the last rock of the end. He would put up his hand like the Heisman Trophy, like this, yeah. to, to his analyst and yeah. say, quiet. Final stone. Tenth end. Right, right? Getting by the guard. It's by the guard. Take two. And he, that was his moment. So that's my moment, right? I have the last stone at the end. But the rest is all about setting it up, making sure people know the strategy, and making sure that you're hearing the players on the ice who know exactly what's going on, and you're getting advice from the people beside you who know the game inside and out. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It is, huh? That's good advice for, I think, any broadcasting, podcasting, radio, yeah. sports analyst, probably commentary, does, Probably not the best idea for you to all of a sudden go quiet. It's a diff different sort of thing, but I think you get the it point. It is, though. I, yeah. I, I find myself sometimes interrupting my guest and talking about a story that I did 20 years ago because it's similar to theirs, and that's part of the thing that I try to work on. Yeah. I try to listen. Like, you, you know, let's, for example, you're telling a story. I'll go, yeah. Oh, really? Wicked. And you're still, tell, still telling the story. I find that there's no point for me to go, oh, yeah, really? Oh, wow. Wicked. Those little, it's pointless. It, you're telling a story. I need to shut up and let you go. And that's one thing I've been trying to work on. I don't need to go, oh, say, oh wow, okay, wicked. They just let you go. Have fun. Talk. I'm glad you met, because those little interjections drive it, me crazy, too. They drive me crazy, too. Mm -hmm. I just did it there. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna, no you're, you're absolutely right, because um, the, the best thing to do is let your, if, if you're working in sports, you let your analyst be the star. 
Let them be the stars. Set them up. Let them shine. If you're doing a podcast, um, I, I, I'm, you invited me here to hear some stuff today, so so you let the guest go, right? It's, But it, it's hard because as a broadcaster, you clearly want to talk. You're good at talking. But one of the biggest skills sometimes is just less is more. Just listen, right? So that takes a while to learn, especially when you're young. When I was young, I thought I thought I was there to talk and entertain all the time. And sometimes you're way more entertaining by letting the person beside you just be a superstar. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Yeah. Um, you watch all Carson shows, okay? Uh, I encourage anybody watching, YouTube Johnny Carson and Robin Williams. Okay. okay. So when Robin Williams would come on Carson, Carson would welcome Robin Williams. Robin Williams, who is one of the great sort of stream of consciousness comedians ever, would basically go for seven minutes. He'd have Carson in stitches, the crowd in stitches. Johnny would say, stay where you are, we're back in a moment. He'd start the segment. He'd throw it a commercial. We're back now with Robin Williams. Ba 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 ba. Williams goes. That's a great host, right? If the, if the guest is struggling, uh, then you have to get in there. You have to help the guest. If the guest is Robin Williams, you're crazy not to let him go and entertain everybody, both watching live and you know on a tube somewhere. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. Good advice. There's some great talk show host moments. That's that's good. I'm gonna go back and watch some of yeah. that. But just, yeah, he's he's not my. I era. just banged the mic, Mark. You think it's okay? I hit it on the bottom. Okay, no, no, you're good. Yep, good boy, Mark. Um, I was looking at your resume, and you called the 2006 Olympics women's uh, gold medal game. Best best female hockey team I've ever seen, the Canadian team. Haley Wickenheiser, Cassie Campbell, uh, tremendous goaltending. Youngsters at that time like Megan Augusta and Sarah Viancourt. Uh, the coach of the team was Melody Davidson, and she used to describe them. She had her Dobermans, the older players, yeah. and she had her Chihuahuas, who were always nipping at the heels. Yeah. Wonderful mix. Best team I've ever seen. Dominated competition. Didn't get touched the whole tournament. And Haley Wickenheiser, man, she reminded me of um, my favorite player ever was Guy Lafleur of the Montreal Canadiens. She'd come down that wing and blast slap shots that just were just lightning laser bolts. And, and it was so fun to watch her. And at the end of the tournament, finally got down to see her in the dressing room, took off her glove, and she had a broken wrist. I said, no. you played this tournament with a broken... She goes, yeah, I didn't tell anyone. I said, how did you shoot the puck like that? I'm tough. I guess you are. And so um, <laughs> I loved calling that. And uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't Canada and the U.S. in the final game. It was Canada and Sweden because the Swedes, in one of the great upsets in, in Olympic history in a shootout, beat the U.S. team. So it wasn't the traditional Canada versus U.S., it was Canada versus Sweden. Sweden. And the Swedes had this little goalie named Kim Martin who just stood on her head against the U.S.A. but wasn't strong enough for Canada. So wow. great. And at those same Olympics... Where were they at the start of 2006? Torino, Italy. Torino, Italy. Uh, so the, the second women's hockey ends, they put me on a train 90 minutes each way to a little town called Pinarola where Brad Gushu is curling for Canada. And he's a young kid at the time, yeah. representing Newfoundland, but representing Canada with Russ Howard as his second. And they win gold. So I've got Gushu coming off the ice crying after talking to his mom who was home battling cancer. And it's one of the most, um, to this day, one of my favorite interviews ever because he was so raw, so emotional. He and I had developed a bit of a, where he could trust me and knew that I wouldn't take him down a, a road he didn't want to go down. And it was just a really remarkable interview where he talked about his mom at home and what she meant to him. He said to the, the nation, he said, I'm sorry for being such a sook. And I said, you know what? I know what that means because I'm from Atlanta, Canada. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of other people. Maritime grit. Yeah. yeah. So it was, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that, was a, that was a wonderful Olympics for me because I got to do women's hockey gold medal and then be there for Gushu winning his gold. Yeah for men's curling so what an experience oh it's the best so how does it work when you're sitting in the cbc office and your boss comes in and says okay listen bruce you're, you're going to the olympics well what's the first thing on your agenda do you look at your itinerary do you look at flights hotels like how does it all work when you get to go to the olympics well i'll, I'll give you the first time it ever happened i was working at cbc halifax and what i was year? 2000 okay and i'm kind of on the cbc's radar i've done i've done a couple of things nationally but i'm still young yeah and i got a call from a guy named joel darling who was the head of CBC Sports, in the office one day, and he said, how would you like to go to Sydney? And I was so naive, I said, okay, what, what Cape Breton, what <laughs> yeah, do you want me in yeah, Cape Breton? Yeah. And he laughed, he said, no, Australia. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, I'd like you to be part of my team. I said, what do you mean part of your team? He goes, I want you to go broadcast the Olympics. And that was the great news. And he said, uh, now the, the news you might question here is that you're going to do play-by-play -play for weightlifting and wrestling, two sports of which I knew very little. So you asked me what you do at that point, right? You're excited. They're going to handle your flights and accommodations. All that's going to be handled. At that point, I dig into two sports I've never watched in my life and in the span of two months become as big an expert I can. It's like university exam. Get ready for it, right? Get ready. 
turned out to be the greatest career move ever calling wrestling because on the final day of the Olympics, a guy named Daniel Agali from Surrey, B.C., he came out of Nigeria, family of 21 kids. So this was a wrestler. <laughs> he knew how to wrestle for the best spot in the bed, the best whatever. But he, he, <laughs> got, a, he got out of that country because of political oppression, okay. came to Canada, and on the last day he wrestled three times. And in the final, he beat a, a Russian kid by the name of Arsen Gitanov. And as the clock ticked down, I had actually written this big, big poetic thing I wanted to say, but it fell out of my hand. My partner, who was a big wrestler, hit my funny bone in there. And I just screamed, <laughs> Gold Canada Egali. And I thought it was awful, but CBC loved how brief it was and no. how succinct it was. And if they only knew uh, that I was about to launch into this big, like his hero, Martin Luther King, Daniel Egali had a dream, it's yeah. come to fruition. I was about to launch into a soliloquy. Instead, I just screamed, but because that went well, I mean, I've watched it back, and you talk about watching back and saying, boy, you missed a lot of opportunity. I sure did. It was far from a great performance, but it was good enough that they called me again, and, and they've been calling me for 20 years to do Olympics, right? So, so it's just like I told you, there are times when your preparation is going to meet opportunity. Some people call that luck. I don't. I call it preparation meeting opportunity, and I was so ready. I, was, I knew more about Daniel Galley than Daniel did. Yeah, I love it. And... Uh, when, when you have that and you pull it out at the right time and you can weave in little stories, uh, people like it. You know, your bosses like it. You, you show them you're both prepared and you're, you're not scared of a big moment. Because I knew there were 9 to 10 million people watching that day. It was the last event really of the Olympics before the, the closing ceremony. And I had to nail it. If I don't nail it, I embarrass myself. I embarrass my company. And I didn't quite nail it, but it was good. It was okay. So That's really cool. Yeah. What would you say the number one attribute is to to longevity in your career? Is it just pe- preparation or is it the relationships that you make? Is it being a, a, just a nice person? There's so many things that go into a long career. You know, is it? Could you even nail it down to one thing? For me, I think it's this. And I, I think CBC producers would tell you that if, if they get me for something, okay, they know I'm going to come fully researched. They don't need to worry about that at all. They can count on me for storylines. They can count on me for asking proper questions. They can count on me for knowing the history of the event, uh, who the stars are. That's just really important. Come prepared. It sounds so simple, but be prepared. It's worked for the Boy Scouts forever, <laughs> and it's, it's worked for me in, in national sports for almost three decades. Just just be prepared and make sure you make your producer slash boss's life as easy as possible because he or she has a lot to worry about in putting together a two-hour live show. If they can not worry about you, and know that the broadcast part of it's going to be smooth, succinct, and make sense. Mm. Sounds easy. It's not easy. And it all comes from research and going in, just knowing as much as you can about that event. I've had a question about commentary. Whenever I listen to uh, the NHL or just any sporting event, and you know how there's a guy in between the bench? Yes. But they're also communicating with the guy up at the top. Yes. But then somehow in sync, they'll end up talking about a commercial break, or they'll talk about a little ad, or they're just, it just it's so smooth. How does that work? Like, no one ever inter- interrupts one another. It's just so smooth. Yeah, I, I think what you'd probably get there is um, you'd have the play-by-play guy being told in his ear, look, we're going, down, we're going down to Terry between the benches in 10 seconds, yeah. nine, and then they get out of the ear. And you just, both guys in the booth would hear that, and they'd know not to interrupt for a bit, right? Other times, though, it's just a really good team. If you work with people enough, you, you have a sense when they want to come in. You can hear in the inflection in their voice. Uh, they all have a little key they can press to say, want to come in, you know, quietly off air to the producer, a uh, uh, little button, either yeah, a yeah, cough yeah, switch yeah. or a talkback switch. And so there are ways to do it. But the the best, the very best, um, I had a, a boxing analyst I worked with in, in uh, where was he? We were in Athens together named Russ Amber, best boxing analyst in the country. And within, it was magic, within like two hours, it had like we had worked together forever. I, I got a sense of his rhythm and when he wanted to come in, when he wanted to be funny, when he wanted to get serious. And we, in two weeks, never stepped over each other. Two Not weeks. Once. It, it took you a while. I don't know. Well, no, like right from the first match, we, we probably called 40 boxing matches. Not one point where we'd say, oh, sorry, I stepped on you. Never. Huh. It just was really, just this real symbiotic sort of thing. So most of the time, it's uh, when, when you meet someone that you're comfortable with and you get a sense for their flow, then you just got it, right? Cool. Then you got it. Yeah. Have you ever met uh, Bob Cole? Oh my gosh. So Bob Cole, he used to rely on me to remember his room number at the hotel in Montreal. <laughs> Bob had a lot going on. He was great. Uh, he used to call me Brucey Boy. I got along so great with him. He, uh, he was a fascinating guy. Uh, all he wanted, all he wanted the morning of the skate, and the coaches loved him, give me the lines. I need the lines. And so the coaches would come over, 
and then give him on a sheet of paper the numbers. 34 is playing with 11 and 16 is on the right wing. So Bob would have his lines. He'd go back to his room and he'd memorize his lines. And his play-by-play was, was from the old school where he wasn't telling you what junior team the guy played for or that he spent time in. Bob was giving you the play, right? Mm. And I loved it because he uh, had the most, he had this beautiful bass voice and it would rise and fall with the play. And I talk about being in another room. If you're in another room and Bob Cole's calling a hockey game, you know you exactly when you got to get back in the room to see it, right? His voice would tell you. So he was from the old school, but it's an old school that that never goes out of style. And a, a lot of um, a lot of current play-by-play people feel the need to get if I don't know if Sidney Crosby's carrying the puck. You don't need to know in this one rush up the ice that he played for Shattuck St. Mary's and was coached by Tom Ward and J.P. Parise was the director. You don't need to get that in all in one. And and a lot of people, I think, try to force that in. Bob didn't. He let the play talk, and he just was kind of a, the play was the melody, and he was providing the occasional lyric, oh, right? I like and that. I love that. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Historical broadcaster out of Canada or Newfoundland, sorry. That's right. Canada used to and and never moved to Toronto ever. Would what? would fly from St. John's, Newfoundland every week to his, mostly Toronto, but no to way. his game. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. There was one year where I was really lucky. I was doing the uh, ringside reporting for Hockey Night, and for an entire year, it was me, Bob, and Gary Galley, the three of us. And Bob was older, so Gary and I would take care as too strong, where Bob would slap me around if he heard me say we're ten. But just, we, we, ma- we made sure Bob shone, right? He was just getting older, but he was still the superstar, right? And uh, that was a fun year. That's awesome. Good guys. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, you did a project based on Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Book? Both. Um, so so when I was, 1995 is when I started at CBC in Halifax as the late night sports guy. And from week one, I was getting calls from Cole Harbor, okay, saying, we know you're new, but we know you're a Dartmouth boy. You got to come see this kid. I go, how old is the kid? Eight years old. So, wow. At CBC, it's hard to get a camera at night because it's overtime. Okay. And CBC is a union shop, and if it's overtime, it's a little more expensive, and you better make sure that the visuals are good if you're going to book a camera. It's hard for sports to get a, a camera at night because it's not a political meeting, and it's just hard. Okay. And so um, I begged and begged because a guy named Pat Connolly, who lived around here, he was 40 years older than me, but a, a legend in broadcasting, the legend in broadcasting here, told me, you got to go see this Crosby kid. I said, seriously? you got to go see him. So when he told me that, I said, I've got to go see him. So we begged for a camera, and the night we went, um, the Coal Harbor Wings were playing the Shearwater Flyers. He was seven, eight. He was eight, and he was by three years the youngest guy on the ice. Okay, so he was playing against, if it's Adam, he was playing Pee Wee, whatever it was. Way out of his league, and he had nine goals and three assists. in a thir- In a 13-8 to eight win for Coal Harbor. And you got the footage? Of this, hundred percent. Wait, and did you get the footage of him going top shelf in Cole Harbor Place in the in the smaller rink? Yes, was, that was you. Yes, that was not me. Eric Williscroft is the camera who looks a lot like you, by the way. Which is shout out to Eric, good looking yeah. guy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so we were there for the early. That's famous very, footage. Well, and here's the more famous footage. We sat him down for his first ever TV interview after, and um, get the hell out of here. had a little headband on, had a little gap in his teeth, and a really high voice. <laughs> And, and here's here's my favorite answer to a question ever, okay? So he's sitting there, and the light's on him. And it's pretty unnatural for a kid, but he's poised. And I thought, Let, let's start easy here. I said, so you're eight years old. Yep. I said, when did you know that you were a good hockey player? He said, I, I remember a couple years ago in novice, I had 189 goals in 12 games, and I realized I might have a scoring touch. That answer is him to this day, right? Quiet modesty, but yet confident. Um, and I'll never forget it. That that uh, There's an ad that airs, uh, Tim Horton You ended up buying our footage. There's an ad that airs, imagine being paid for something you love to do someday. It's the end of one of the Tim Horton commercials. It was like from, I think, that same interview where he said that 80, 189, just a great answer. And so what happened was, I was no fool. I would check in with him every year of his career, and I'd do a story for either CBC Local or CBC National. Hockey Day in Canada comes to Windsor, Nova Scotia in 2002. Ron McLean, Don Cherry coming to Windsor, okay? So I'm the guy on the ground in Windsor. And I beg, I beg the producers of Hockey Day in Canada, let me do a story on this kid. We don't do stories on kids on Hockey Day in Canada. It's grassroots stuff. Let me do a story on this kid. He is the best hockey player for his age in the world. No, he isn't. Yes, he is. No way. Yes. They wouldn't believe me that somebody from Cole Harbor. I said, you got to trust me. To Chris Irwin's credit, was the name of the guy, he relented and said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And when they saw it, all of a sudden the next year they said, 
you do a follow up on Crosby, right? And uh, it's I'm just really proud of it. He and I he and I developed a really a really good respect for each other. I took my son down to see him last year in Pittsburgh. My son wanted to go there because he got his average up and he could pick any trip he wanted. So we went down. That's a good dad right there. Yeah, well, it's a good, it's a good son for getting the marks up. And he, to this day, he's exactly, exactly the same guy. Just cares about his family, cares about his teammates. Um, very, very polite, really kind. And you'd, ne- you'd never know when you're talking to him that you're talking to the most famous Canadian probably alive and a guy who's made millions. Of, you just don't know it. He just is a wonderful young guy. Can't say enough about him. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's a crazy story. Well, it's been a great story. And then and then because because I had all this footage built up through the years, CBC in 2005 said, let's do a half hour documentary on this kid. He was about to be drafted. So we did. And, and the same cameraman, Eric Willscroft and I went to Ramuski at the time yeah. and saw the phenom he was there. It was like Elvis Presley in Ramuski. Like he could not move. And Again, just handling it all beautifully, and the, the documentary was called Great Expectations. I think it was the highest rated show on CBC that season, right? Got close. To, now imagine that. At the time, a fairly, not unknown, but still a junior hockey player airing at night, and I think it had 2.2 million. Watch it, because the, the legend was starting to grow. People were hearing about this 16-year-old oh, yeah, kid, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I go back a long way with him. He and He, in many ways... Um, I mean, I'll be honest, my luck being in Halifax when he was here really helped my career. I, I, got, to, I got to report on best hockey player in the world because yeah. he lived two houses down the street, kind of, you know, so right place, right time. Is that how you got his dryer in the Hall of Fame? No, um, that, that came before me, but it's still our most popular item. We see, people, we see people at the Hall of Fame, they're coming off cruise ships when there's no COVID, coming in by the hundreds with Crosby jerseys on to stand by the dryer no like, it's, like it's this shrine. Yeah, it's really cool. I believe it. Yeah. If it wasn't in my backyard, I'd be doing the same and thing. And the story of the dryer, by the way, people misunderstand. He wasn't shooting at the dryer. People think he was trying to get the puck in the dryer. He, went, he did that on Leno one time. He was shooting at the net and missing the net, right? He's trying to pick the far left, far right corner. And when he'd miss the net, it would zoom by and, and hit his mother's dryer with extreme force. So the dryer is destroyed, but it worked forever, which has got to be the greatest ad for Maytag I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah, I uh, I can't say enough about Crosby. He's the he's the greatest. I, I It actually bothers me when people criticize him. You know, early in his career, he probably, even he'd admit, whined a bit too much to the refs, but, but the pressure he was under and the way he leads now, and you have never, you have never in his hockey career heard anything resembling scandal. And yeah. you won't. You will not. Way too much class. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Sorry, I ramble a bit. No, I, hey, any, anyone that's rambling about a story like that, that's crazy. Yeah. Going up to Ramuski, getting all that footage, especially his first interview ever. Yeah. It's not a ramble. That's, a, that's, that's history. Yeah, it was. It was and, and as I say, uh, the poise that he continues to show today, the quiet confidence and the humility, they were all there from day one. Right, I don't know how you get. Yeah, that. Yeah, I'm just gonna. How do you do that? Well, he's got he's got two parents that are that are wonderful people. They're very understated. Uh, they're not nothing wrong with Walter Gretzky, but but he's loved the spotlight. Troy and Trina have been happy to let Sydney have the spotlight. They're mm. just really good people. I think maybe it comes from that that sort of grounding. Mm. Very very earthy people. So cool. I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome that he's from this part of the world. Um, President and CEO of Nova Scotia Sports Hall of Fame. Yes. How did that come about? I had had a 35-year run in broadcast, 25, 25 at CBC, liked it, but um, I, I kind of felt I had done, I, I had ticked all the boxes I wanted to tick, right? And, and um, I could walk away from CBC thinking that that was a really, they didn't know me anything, I didn't know them anything, that's a good time to walk away if you can. And for years I had hosted the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame induction ceremony night. I had come over either from PEI if I was living there or here. I would host that, and I loved it. Two things I loved. I loved the humility of the people being inducted, and I loved the staff at the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame. Remarkable people. And I always thought to myself, if Bill Robinson, who was my predecessor, should he ever retire, I'm going to go for that job. You know, I really would like to, I love telling the stories of these athletes. I love that night, and I'm crazy about the staff. (laughs) His job came up, I applied and got lucky and made it through and uh, for the last three and a half years have been doing that and just love it. I love telling, I love making sure kids in this province know the stories of Nova Scotia athletes. We did two years ago a project called the Top 15 Athletes in Nova Scotia History. I say this boastfully. 
There is not another province in this country, and we're tiny comparatively, there's not another province in this country that could give you, if you did a similar project, the greatest gymnast in Canadian history, the two greatest boxers in Canadian history, three of the greatest paddlers in Canadian history, one of the top five hockey players of all time, one of the top ten defensemen in history, one of the top two greatest female curlers ever. This is all from Nova Scotia, and it all was unearthed and driven home by this top 15 project. There is no province in this country that punches more above its weight than Nova Scotia. So what I tell kids when I get to talk to them, yeah, you're from here, but that doesn't matter at Hill of Beans. Whatever you want to do, if you work as hard as Crosby did and stay that humble, watch what happens. You know, and that's what kids need to hear. That's why I love this job. That gives me motivation right there. Yeah. That, that kind of gave me goosebumps. Well, you, you look at the list and, and what every, what every person on our top 15 list, the, the one quality they shared is that they never had to yap about themselves. Yeah. They were happy to let other people do the yapping. And it, it's so fun to do the talking about them because their stories are incredible. Hmm. George Dixon from Africville, Nova Scotia, Sam Langford from Weymouth Falls. These are two of the greatest fighters in the history of the world. And forget, forget Canada. They are so far and away the greatest boxers in Canadian history, it's not even funny. Look at Al McGinnis from Port Hood. You start, na- start naming the greatest defenseman of all time to play in the NHL. If you don't get to his name inside of 10 or 12, start your list again, right, because you've missed something. Ellie Black, at the age of 25, is far and away, and this, this sentence ends with a period, the greatest gymnast in Canadian history, period. Undebatable. Undebatable all from Nova Scotia. So I get excited talking about these people. I love them. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to need a list from you before we go of people that are still, like, I don't know if, of a lot, like you named a couple of the boxers. I don't know if they're alive or not. But No, they, I, they've they long since passed, yeah. but there's wonderful books about them. You Google them. Yeah. George Dixon from Africville invented shadow boxing, invented hanging a bag from the ceiling and punching it. First black Canadian athlete ever to win a world title. First black athlete ever to reclaim a world title. His story's crazy. Wow. It's just, it's so deep and rich that it's, uh, how can you not enjoy if you like this stuff? This is my work every day, Mm. learning more about these people and making sure these stories are told. How do you not love that? Yeah. Right? It is a walk down history lane whenever you're in there. Intermission at a Moosehead game. Yeah. Sometimes I'll miss the third or second period because I'm in there at intermission. Well, let me tell you, let me bring you an update. We had to close. What? We had to close, yeah, during COVID. It's not going to be there anymore. If you're talking about Scotiabank Center, we got evicted by our landlord. So, um, oh, geez, I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Well, I, I didn't do my research. It's I didn't okay. Know. It's okay. I, I'm sorry to hear it too, but here's my promise to you. Okay. You come to the new Hall of Fame. It's going to blow that one away. Can't tell you where it's going to be yet. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Got to make the best of what you're dealt, right? Absolutely. And, and we got a staff that's going to do that. So that's anyway, awesome. A little scoop there for you. Oh, that's in and our listeners too. I'm happy. Well, I'm happy to hear that it's going to be somewhere else. Yeah. The good news is the good news is we're okay. We're going to stay alive as a company, no problem, and okay. we're going to reemerge. The bad news is this this had to happen during COVID, which was unfortunate. Everyone's got to deal with the Such times right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's tough right now. But you got to push forward. That's like Nova Scotians. We're just tough people. We roll with the times and we don't complain and we keep working. You know what? Clint Eastwood in a very underrated movie called Heartbreak Ridge has a famous line, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Improvise, adapt, and overcome. I love it. So do I. That's half of what being an entrepreneur, half of being a good business person, half of being, I don't know, anything you gotta, you in gotta life. Roll with the punches, you got to roll with the punches. Yep. You got to go. Yep. That's everything. My grandmother used to have an expression and she was a... Uh, a wordy woman. She said, you have to make chicken salad out of chicken shh. <laughs> and, 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 and if you can do that, right? Yeah. Um, th- that's that's the secret really to, to turning anything around. Whatever you're dealt, make the best of it. So you got to flip. You got to flip whatever you have. You got to flip it to something better and you keep flipping. That's all you do. Yeah. So what's your life like now? It's great. Um, on a personal front, beautiful wife, two beautiful little boys. Not little, 14 and nine. Great little guys. Yeah. One of them's the top ranked tennis player in Atlanta, Canada for his age. No way. How yeah. old is he? 14. No way. Yeah. The other guy's a wonderful little guy, loves movies, different sort of cat, loves swimming, skating. Yeah. So on that front, it's great. Professionally, I still do stuff for CBC. Okay. When CBC does stuff. Yeah. Supposed to call tennis and golf at the Tokyo Olympics, which didn't happen. Hopefully they'll happen next year. Still love that, but um, the greatest the greatest professional joy in my life is getting to work with four special people every day, mm-hmm. telling these stories I told you about, right? Making yeah. sure kids hear them, making sure our hall's the best provincial sport hall in the country. That's a fun, I get up every, I, I never say, oh shoot, I got to go to work. It's always, yeah. let's get in there and do something good today. That's awesome. Yeah. I love to hear that. Whenever someone comes on the podcast and talks about how passionate they are about something, it gives me motivation to wake up and same thing. Right. You know? And like you just said before, there's so many people that are from here that have this passion for what they do, and that makes my job exciting. So to have you here talk about everything that you've gone through, it's 
you know, when you're gone and you leave here today, I'm more motivated to work even harder. So Yeah, well, these Nova Scotians we talk about don't just have the passion. they got the talent too, right? And if you have – a lot of kids say, what, what's, the, what's the key? What's the key? And that's a hard question to answer, but here's the key to me. I've met so many people in my career – let's talk broadcast – that are talented but lazy, and they reach this level. I've also met people in my career that, that work like crazy, but truth be told, just probably don't have the gift – so they get right here. If you have the gift and the work ethic, you wouldn't believe how rare that is. It is so rare. But if you have it, you become Ron McLean. If you have it, you become Bob Cole. If you have it, you become Cassie Campbell. If you have it, the sky's the limit, right? Work ethic and talent, oh man, it's a rare combo. But when you have it, oh. And so that's what I tell kids. I said, if you have even a little bit of talent, work to develop that, mm. But work to develop that. Work and see how far you go. Got to have them both. I love it. Yeah. Let's end it on that. I appreciate it. Unless there's something else you want to talk about. I think we just rambled at you for a long time. No, I don't mind. If you yeah. want to keep rambling, How you long go we go, it. Mark? Uh, we are currently at 45. 40. Oh, 45. We can go for a bit longer if you want to. Yeah, what, are you do, what are you doing today? Today? You got time? Yeah, I'm just no, saying. Let's, let's keep going. You got time? Ask me about some of my favorite athletes ever. Favorite athletes of what all time. What a great question. <laughs> Guy Lafleur. Okay. Okay. Um, before your time. Yeah. Montreal Canadian superstar in 1970s. Heard of him. And uh, absolute God. Six straight years of 50 goal seasons. The most exciting NHL player I've ever seen. And here's here's why it's fun with Guy Lafleur. My boyhood hero. Okay. Go to bed every night praying to the father, son, the Holy Ghost, and Guy. It was a holy quartet for me. I loved him. Please score a goal, Guy. And so years later, when I thought I was mature, I was probably 30, working for CBC in Halifax, yeah. Guy Lafleur came to town to play an old-timers hockey game, my boyhood hero. And I said, I'm going to go through the proper channels and interview this guy. He's still a legend. And I thought, this won't be a problem because I'm mature now. Yeah. And so I'll never forget, he opens the door to his hotel room, where we go, with Mike Eric, the cameraman again. <laughs> and I'm looking at him, and there he is. There he is, my hero. And I look at him. And I stick out my hand and I say, Mr. Lafleur. He goes, yes. And I said, hi, I'm Guy Rainey. And he said, your name is Guy too? And I said, no, I'm just really nervous. <laughs> and then I try to save it. I try to, like the competitor jumps up and he goes, I remember you scored 53, 56, 56, 60, 52, and 50 goals in six straight years. He goes, yeah, whatever. Maybe you should get a life. I didn't even know that. But here's why I tell you that story. I've met him several times since. Yeah. There is nothing more special, nothing more special than when your boyhood hero is an even better person, right? A lot of people say you should never meet your heroes. Yeah. Never meet them because you'll likely be disappointed. I've been able to meet two in my life, uh, Bruce Springsteen and Guy Lafleur. And in both cases, I know they're both incredibly talented, but they're just great people, right? Um, but in your head, there's some sort of figure that are just not even lifelike. They're that's just... right, that's right. But when you meet them, you realize they're, they, they also tie their shoes and they also have sniffles. Yeah. Yeah, but they're just really good people, right? Cool. So it's nice, yeah. Did you ever see one of those games when Montreal played in the form against Boston? Yes. At preseason? Is this what you're talking about? No, well, well Guy Lafleur scored his most famous goal May 10th, 1979. Too many men on the ice to send it into overtime. Don Cherry put out a player to try to check him. And I think the Bruins had eight guys on the ice. It was a real mess. And they still haven't named who that player was or a couple of the players that were on Everybody the ice. Everybody knows who it was. Stan Jonathan was oh, the guy. Oh, it's out there. It has okay. come out, although Cherry will never throw Say him it. under the yeah. bus, right? The trouble was Lafleur was being almost triple shifted by Scotty Bowman. They needed a goal. Hmm. And Don Marcotte was his shadow. So Marcotte had just come off and Guy jumps on and the Bruins bench freaks because Guy's back on. So Marcotte's got his head turned. So Jonathan and Marcotte both... Anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> if, if you watch it in slow motion, you can see the chaos he, he created. I was lucky enough to see a couple of games in the Montreal Forum as a kid way before I broadcast it. I meant Halifax Forum. Oh, they my Because they had preseason games yeah, here. Yeah, so 100%. Yeah, so as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Because I heard stories of people coming on that, you know, that have been in that generation that have seen those games where Bobby Orr was playing in the Forum. He, well, Bobby Orr played, I know he's play, he played as a Blackhawk uh, late in his career at the Halifax Metro Center, now Scotiabank Center. Um the other thing at the form that was great was Grand Prix wrestling back in the day, right? These guys, Killer Carl Krupp and Leo, these guys were the heroes of the day. Halifax Forum, I love that place. <laughs> I hope they, uh, I hope they're able to keep keep it around. There's talk of a refurbishment and a restoration, a lot of history there, right? We had a gentleman come on the podcast the other day, and he was I don't know, 14 years old, 15, when Montreal Canadiens played the Boston Bruins in the form, right? And he couldn't afford tickets; it was sold out, it was packed. So what he did, he climbed up the 
what do you call it? Mark, the oh, rain pipe? Like, like the, drain pipe? The drain pipe right? yeah. on the side because there's windows at the top of the floor. Yes, that's now right. they're, the bars. they're bars, so you can't get in. But back then you could push and you can go through. So he said he risked his life, climb up the side of this pole, push the window through and just jump into the form at the top just to see Montreal and Boston You know play. what was nice back then too is that if they would come to a town like Halifax, they would play their guys, right? In in recent years, the preseason has been a chance to, okay, you're going to play in this city, you're going to play here, and the stars don't always play every night. Yeah. Back then, though, I think, especially because Montreal's farm team was the Nova Scotia Voyageurs, yes. you had to placate the local fan base. So if Montreal did come to town, Larry Robinson was going to play, Guy Lafleur was going to play, because they knew it was a big deal, Yeah. right? Really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. They don't do it as much. I wish they did. Like I don't remember the last time an NHL game was here. You're right. They haven't had one here in a while. Well, right? they, 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 do try to, they do try to get them around a bit, but um, we'll see what happens now, whether there'll even be a preseason next year, right? Who knows? I know. I'm just yeah. like, hey, I'm just, uh, like I say on every podcast, I'm just happy that there's hockey right now, or there was, but now local hockey's coming back. Yeah. So yeah. it's good. Slowly but surely. Very slowly, but surely. Yeah. But there's just so many protocols that have to go through. That's it. Because everyone has to be safe. Yeah. Did you hear what happened in the queue yesterday? No. Armada and who's the other team that got uh, shut down? Who's uh, was it the Rampart? Yeah, shut down for a month. Ramparts Why? and Armada. Why? Two players on the team uh, caught it, so they're shut down till November first. Yep. But that's in the Quebec bubble. Nothing in the Maritime bubble yet. But right. we'll see. So that's the thing. Everyone's just pushing ahead, hoping it happens. But you got to think of the safety. Yeah. Hope for the best. Hope for the best. Yeah. And Absolutely. follow the protocols for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what was the Montreal form like? Well. So as a guy that, that grew up watching Lafleur on TV, yeah. scoring all the goals there, you walk in there. I was, I was there to see a game when I was 18, and it was a night where Stéphane Richet, who for a time people were, thought were going to be the next Guy Lafleur, they played the Quebec Nordiques, and Richet had four goals. Yeah. And the place was electric. It was amazing. Um, it was on the corner, of, well, it was right St. Catharines and wherever it was, just on the corner, and it's a shrine, right? It's such a shrine. It was it was old. The seats were a little beat up, but you knew you were, you were sitting in a place where, at that time, 22 Stanley Cups had come from, you know? So, yeah. If you love hockey history, those buildings are amazing. You just, you just look around and think, he played here. He played here. This was held here, right? Were the seats really steep? Yeah. Yeah? Not as steep. At Maple, at Maple Leaf Gardens were steeper. Oh, yeah? Seats, my, my recollection of the form was they were just, just kind of old. A lot of wood. Um, not a lot of room for, for, uh, expanding waistline I had to be kind of a thinner, thinner guy to get to a hockey yeah, game. Yeah, and enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it was just, it's just history, right? Just yeah. absolute history. Those buildings are, they're gone now, but, um, they played a huge role in the Canadian landscape for sure. Have you seen any change kind of to switch topic back to the broadcasting aspect, but have you ever seen, I guess, change from broadcasting from, you know, the late nineties, late eighties to now, has it changed the game changed or have the fundamentals stayed the same for... As long time. Has the game of hockey changed? No, the broadcasting game. Is it still the same? Because if you think hockey has changed. So here's the thing. With it, with any live sport event, it's drama without a script. So you go ahead and you think you have an idea who... The other night I thought the Los Angeles Lakers were going to sweep the Miami Heat. Didn't happen, right? It's drama. You have no idea what's going to happen. So essentially... It's still a story. It's yeah. still a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. It hasn't changed. The visuals have gotten better. The graphics have gotten better. Sometimes I think the graphics are a little too busy. Uh, all of it's all of it's better, right? Um, the research is better. But still, though, your best broadcasters are the ones who can tell you a story. Put me there. Tell me why it's happening. Tell me how it's happening. Those are still the best, right? And and as is back in the day, some are better at it. That's just, that's just life. Some yeah. are better at it than yeah. others. You know the ones you like. And I bet you if you ask yourself, why do I like him or her so much? It's because they're really good storytellers. <laughs> really good. It's interesting how all this time passes. The game gets better. The graphics get better. But a broadcaster, the fundamental rules of being a good broadcaster stay the same. I like that. Right. Um, and there are, there are a few of them, but the, but the main ones are tell a story and be researched, know exactly what you're talking about, right? Like it. Because a viewer can feel that. A viewer can tell. If you're in command, you're like their quarterback. They're at home, and you're getting them the ball, right? It's yeah. very cool. Tony Romo, he's doing a good job at that. Unbelievable. He's calling the shots. He, now, he's, he's, changed, he's changed the expectation of broadcasting a bit because he, he's the first guy to ever predict with great, great certainty what's going to happen next. It's kind of unfair to ask others to do that, right? Hockey's not as predictable. But here's a quarterback that has a feel for exactly what's coming, that's fun to watch because yeah. he's right most of the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
interesting to see if, if he if that becomes a new sort of trend. Yeah. I don't think it can be because he might have a gift that just not everybody has. Yeah. Really cool thing though. It is. Um, is it true Jody Shelley has a street named after him in Yarmouth? It is for uh, Jody Shelley Drive. It's where the Yarmouth Mariner Center is. It used to be, it was not the name of the street years ago, but they renamed it smartly after him. He's a guy, so here's a guy, he wasn't born in Yarmouth. He moved there very, very young in his life, played all of his minor hockey there. For years, hosted a charity golf tournament for the Yarmouth Hospital Foundation, made yeah. close to a million bucks for that place. Yeah. Never forgot, ever forgot where he was from, ever, right? Oh. I got so much admiration for him. Makes it a point every year, no matter where he is in the world, to get back to Yarmouth, and, yeah. and uh, that's why they love him there. Love him there. When we inducted him into our Hall of Fame last year, I think the town of Yarmouth came to Halifax. I believe it. I exaggerate, yeah. but but I know that I, I recognized, I lived there for a long time, I recognized hundreds of people. Wow. Right, all came to see him. So much respect for him. It'll be cool if maybe one day he ends up going to Colorado and forms a relationship. I'm sure he already has a relationship with uh, Ryan Graves. Right. You know, you never yeah. know. That'd Who's also, cool. what a great young player he is, right? Oh, God. Tremendous young defenseman. Yeah, so... Jody was a great. I, I look forward. I look forward with with uh, tremendous anticipation to the night we are able to induct, and I hope it's a long way down the road. Sydney into the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame. Huh? I think that'll be a very special night on the Nova Scotia Sport calendar. We'll probably have to do that at Scotia Bank Arena. Actually, I think that would be one where as many Nova Scotians as possible would love to come and say thank you to him for the way he's represented the province and handled himself. I believe so, it. Yeah. Hopefully, when that day comes, there'll be no COVID restrictions. No masks required. We'll be able to hug and celebrate. I, I can't wait for that day. Yeah. I can't wait for that day. Last, got, what, go ahead. Know, I was going to say I've talked too long, but you got one last thing. Well, I was thing. just going to say last minute of the show is yours. If you want to thank anyone, you've had a long career. You've done some amazing things. I'm sure there's been people along the way that have helped you. Um, you go for it. Yeah, well, look, it, it always all starts with your mom and dad. Always. Uh, they, they, as I told you, they were skeptical but supportive of career choices I made. I, I hope they believe it's paid off in the end. That's always important. Along the way, uh, the key people you work with, you know, there's always mentors, there's teachers. Um, but right now, if you're going to ask me to, to name four people, uh, it's going to be my staff at the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame who, who make that that's such a fun place to be every day for me, who work hard, don't ask for much in return, and believe in the greatness of Nova Scotia and the athletes who have come from the province. So um, I'll, I'll, if you're asking for one show, I'm going to mention Shane Mailman, Carolyn Sevchik, Christina Bryan, and Katie Tanner, who make work not only fun but also profitable. Both, both spiritually and hopefully someday again financially. There you go. Yep. I love it. Well, Bruce, thank you very much for coming on, man. Guys, was, thank you. Pleasure. No, it was a treat. I, you know, you're dropping knowledge out left, right, and center. Let's, that was do, let's do part two in a couple of years. Absolutely. You I'm, got I'm it. Down. Well, when the, when the new Sports Hall of Fame opens, Hall of Fame opens, maybe we'll come by. We'll bring the, the, the cameras there. The Remote mics will broadcast. Do something. I love Remote it. broadcast. There we Good go. Stuff. I'm learning things left, right, and center from okay, this. Okay, man. All right, everyone listening, thank you very much for tuning in. Today is Tuesday, still early in the week. Keep working hard. Have fun. Stay safe. We will be back. Thanks. My